Welcome to the Destiny Church 217 podcast, where we share the sermon of the week from Destiny Church. After the message, check out the show notes for links and more information on how to get connected with Destiny. Let's get into the message. This is my lovely wife, Cheryl. Thirty-eight years, and uh, <laughs> crazy. That's crazy. So um, I want to share a little bit of my story with you today. And I asked Cheryl to come along, and she goes, "Well, I'm unprepared." And I said, well, "You don't have to know anything other than your life." So uh, she has nothing to say except for when she has something to say, and when she does, she's just going to jump right in. So. Um, that's how we live our life together. Um, I was, uh, I'm turning 60 years old this year, just turned 60. Cheryl and I both were born in 1962. If you're unfamiliar with the world in that day, it was um, rather tumultuous in that the uh, United Soviet States of, the USSR was a, was a big deal back in the day. And uh, I don't know where you're at, where your history is concerned. But uh, Dwight D. Eisenhower, who was a four-star general, who orchestrated Normandy D-Day, became our president. And he was quite, quite the, uh, the war hawk. And he, there was a Cold War going on at the time. And a Cold War is where you're not firing things at each other. You're just doing bad things to each other in the name of war, I guess. Uh, Not talking and just building up nuclear arms. That was where I was born during those days. In 1961, um, Eisenhower had run his term and JFK was elected. He was put into office in January of 61. And uh, Fidel Castro was in charge of, uh, I don't know why I'm giving you all this history here for a second. Fidel Castro was in charge of Cuba. Cuba is just 90 miles south of America. So imagine you're in Springfield and communism is closer than St. Louis. Right? So that gives you an idea. It's just 90 miles off our coast. And the Soviets were beginning to uh, make inroads. They didn't like what we were doing in Turkey. And so they wanted to cause trouble for us. We didn't want that. And so along comes JFK, and he takes a hold of Eisenhower's plan to uh, rid Cuba of Fidel. And so we find a bunch of refugees in Florida that are have gone on a boat and floated their way to Florida and, and don't want to be a part of Cuba and socialism that's spreading there into Fidel. And so we arm these people and we take them to the south side of Cuba and we woefully underestimate what it's going to take to help these um, radicals take back Cuba from Fidel and we landed on a beach in a place called the Bay of Pigs. I don't know if you're familiar with this term, but uh, we didn't do well there and we got handed our hat and we got sent running um, and it was a catastrophe. There was American soldiers that were taken captive and so the Soviet Union saw weakness in our new president and JFK and so he goes, now's the time for us under uh, Nikita Bru- uh, Barishnikov to, not Barishnikov, um, um, Khrushchev, thank you. Barishnikov's a ballet dancer. Sorry about that. Uh, and so uh, they began to send um, missiles to Cuba, the Soviets did. And this was the beginning of the Cuban Missile Crisis. And I guess I tell you this history is because the Cuban Missile Crisis began on the day I was born. I was born on October 14th, and that's when the Cuban Missile Crisis started. So it's easy to remember history when you start with where it was happening when you were born. And so uh, for about 30 days, there was all kinds of problems. We didn't really do an embargo. We called it a quarantine of Cuba. An embargo is a military term which would have caused war. We did a quarantine, which is an embargo by a different name, and we demanded that the Soviet Union get their missiles out so, so close to America. But uh, there was a, a lot of lot of uh, doings for about thirty. This is this is. I mean, imagine having a brand new baby, and this is what's going on in the world. You got nukes that are ninety miles off your your shoreline. You don't know how how the world is going to end, right? Uh, 
And so, uh, um, very long story short, uh, Kennedy was advised to go nuke Russia. He decided not to do that and instead have talks. And so there was a, a de-escalation. We took some missiles out of Turkey and they took the missiles out of uh, Cuba. And that was 1961. Less than a year later, the Soviets assassinated John F. Kennedy, JFK. Um, you may not think that the Soviets did that, but you should probably consider the timeline I'm giving you. Uh, that a, a guy with a gun somewhere in Texas decided he was just going to off the president is a little bit unthinkable. You can check the Warren report, just like you can check the 911 uh, report. Anyway, so that was 1962. That's, that's when I was born. Um, it was a crazy time. My, I was born in Bloomington, Illinois, just up the road. My wife was born in Pekin, so we are locals. Um, we know the land of corn and beans, right? It's a culture here for us for sure. And um, although we spent some time in Minnesota, this is where we spent all of our lives. And we love it here. My dad was a United States Marine Corps. Uh, he was a fighter jet mechanic in Okinawa. And Cheryl's dad was a Marine as well. And so we come from good stock where that's concerned. Um, my dad, after uh, getting out of the Marine Corps, uh, married my wife. My dad was a, oh, my, my mom, right? Not my wife. Yeah. yeah. So. So, um, uh, my dad was raised German Lutheran because of his mother. My grandmother's dad was a Lutheran pastor. Cheryl's parents were raised Dutch Reformed, very Calvinist in their theology. And uh, there were four kids in my family. I was the second. Some of you know my sister. She's Kirsten, uh, just a wonderful lady, and comes here once a month to do some pastoral counseling. Then myself, born in 62, my brother Hans, who you have met, and my youngest brother, Bjarni, who died uh, less than a year ago. And um, so there's four, four children. My dad was uh, um, a great musician and a cigarette salesman for R.J. Reynolds Tobacco. And uh, so he was the guy that went to the grocery store and counted how many Winston-Salem's were there and said, hey, you need these many. And we went out to his station wagon, his company car, and got cases of cigarettes and stocked it back up. That was my dad's job. My, my mom was a stay-at-home mom uh, with all four of us. And so that was a wonderful thing back in the 60s and the 70s uh, where you could drink out of the faucet uh, out of the hose in the, in the yard without being concerned about all the plastics you were drinking, I guess. Um, just a very, rub some dirt in it, you're going to be fine kind of, you know, kind of world. And uh, that's the, the way I was raised. My dad was, uh, my dad was uh, like I said, a great musician, but he was, uh, he was also a very good drinker. He was an alcoholic, and he destroyed our, our family. And um, as a result, that was right after I got out of high school. So in high school... I did the Lutheran thing because that's what the family did. And uh, how am I doing? I'm doing okay? Okay, great. I, I did the Lutheran thing and uh, my dad was very involved in the church. So was my mom. We were there all the time. And uh, so I was, I was educated in the ways of uh, theology and doctrine and catechism. So I had a lot of information between my ears, but it really wasn't lived out at home so much. And so that was the world I grew up in. And then on the Valentine's Day uh, in 1981, after I graduated, oh, in high school, I was a pretty good kid, all the way up until uh, I started smoking pot, getting stupid. Uh, so I smoked a lot of pot and drank a lot of alcohol and um, liked the girls, liked lunch, uh, and that was about all we did in high school for the last, for my, my junior and my senior year. And then I saw her, in a music group that we were in together. I didn't see much of her. I, uh, she played piano uh, for this group. So all I really saw of her was just that much of her over the top of the piano. And her big green eyes captivated me and I quickly fell in love and uh, she, she did not. <laughs> and so... Uh, my, my mom being a, a German Lutheran, my dad being a German Lutheran, and my dad being alcoholic, and 
myself and um, the whole family situation just imploding. Uh, my parents got a divorce in 1981, which wasn't really good for me uh, because it, any child of a divorce somehow thinks it's their responsibility to either fix it, get them back together, or they caused it. You know, I don't know if, if that's if you, that's your life's experience, but uh, there was four of us, and the family just went all different different directions, um, and um, it was not a good time for me. Uh, so I, I, I was in high school. I worked at McDonald's. My first job was pulling weeds at a greenhouse. I started work at McDonald's uh, because of my dad and his worth, work ethic. Um, combined with the way that McDonald's does training was just a wonderful fit for me because I was told exactly what to do and how to do it. And so that was good for me because that's the way it was at the house because when your dad's a Marine, there's only one way to do things and that's the Marine Corps way. And so there was one thing, there was one way to make a hamburger and that was the McDonald's way. And so I quickly, I quickly escalated through the uh, McDonald's hierarchy um, from the first day of flipping burgers all the way up going to uh, all their training schools, Oak Brook, Hamburger University, managing uh, stores by the time I was 21. I love systems. I love how things work. I love how they go together. And so this was a good fit for me. So my parents divorced. I threw myself into this work and I accelerated at it. I was very, very good at it. And um, Cheryl threw herself at her work, which was college. She went to Augustana, which is up in the Quad Cities in Rock Island. She's a tremendously talented. She's extremely smart. She's a 4.0 student in everything she's ever tried to do in her life. So she's very, very smart, and she's very, very beautiful. And she decided she was going to pursue her piano, because she had done that since she was a little kid. And so she went into piano performance, which is not like piano pedagogy, where you're just going to be a piano teacher. She was the person that would walk out to the big black grand piano and do that kind of stuff. And I remember one day on a recital, I drove up, and, and I didn't know what to say about it. So I said, that was pretty. And she kind of mocked me for calling her music pretty. But I didn't know what else to do it. But she, she so you, if you know geography of Illinois, we lived, I lived in Pekin at the time. We both were Pekin High School graduates in 1980. She went to Augustana. I pursued my McDonald's career, uh, making really decent money, but I didn't even, all I did was just cash my check put all the cash in my wallet and just Eric was the life of the party till the money ran out right so it was it was uh it was it was pretty 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 weird pretty crazy and i had a good friend who was more crazy than me some of you know who dave redding is just a great man and so uh she went away to do music i did pursued my thing and um I still loved her, but she didn't want anything to do with me uh, because my life was pretty pretty messed up. You All right, see, I'm going to interject now. <laughs> <laughs> it was true. You didn't want anything to do with me, right? Okay, well, yeah. So, um, so what happened is, um, and at any age, you know, I mean, we started seeing each other when we were juniors in high school, and he started pursuing me, and um, that would be with a capital P. Yeah. He told me he loved me on our first date. So that was. We were sitting in the car in her driveway. I thought, we got to go for this, you know? So, you know, it's, I'm all in. I'm all in. It was a little much. And she said, she, her, her, her compassionate res response was, get out of the car. That's what she said to me. Yeah. So, um, I, my family was very grounded and walked their Christian talk. I did not party. I didn't care about dating. I did not drink. And so at some point, ladies, you know what you want. And I said to Eric, figure out who you are because I can't fix you or your family. I'll be moving on with God. I will not have alcoholism in my house, et cetera, et cetera. Don't change for me. Figure out who you are with God and then we can talk. And so that's where we were. So I'll spare you some of the detail of all that. <laughs> but needless to say, I, I got myself straightened out as best I could. You know what I mean? Because guys, right? She says, get yourself straightened out. And 
and it's attached to, and then then we'll move forward. Our you're going to do anything they they're going to do. You know, they're gonna, you're going to do anything it takes to get the job done. And so I began that process and got myself straightened out pretty much, pretty much, pretty much straightened out. And uh, uh, she, we got engaged to be married, so that was good. And then uh, her dad said, I'll pay the college bill if you don't marry her until after she graduates college. And my dad had didn't read, you know, that's smart. I'm not, why would I pick up the private college bill if I can wait another year before she gets married, before we get married? So I said, okay, so that unfolds. Then she comes home between her junior and senior year and says, now I'm going to go on and get my master's degree. I said, give me the ring back. I can't do that. And so we got unengaged. And that was kind of hard, but I didn't get the ring back. There's nothing to write home about, trust me. It was just a little chip of a thing. And um, then she came to her senses, and she said, yes. Uh, <laughs> yes, I'll marry you. And she decided she wasn't going to go on to get Actually, it didn't happen quite like that. Because... At that time, I wasn't sure what I was going to do with my life, and I'm a very, I'm a grounded person, and so between my junior and senior year, my music professor said, are you thinking about your master's? And I said, well, I'm thinking about it, because I was thinking about it. I didn't know if I was sure I was going to get married. I thought I was, and then when I questioned it, then I have to, be, I have to do whatever it takes, you know? And so we broke up, and he was still figuring out who he was, and I came home for the summer, and this is, God is my witness truth. I've heard the audible voice of God once in my life, and I was home that summer. I had started dating somebody at Augustana, a pre-med student who's a doctor up in um, Chicago, and he's like, do you understand? My wife will have everything. If you go home, you'll end up with him again, and et cetera. And I said, I'm going to go home and pray about this and um, see what God has for me. And this is honest to goodness truth. I sat up in bed because I heard a voice in my bedroom. And here's what the voice said. I picked him for you. What are you doing? And I sat up in bed and I looked around. I heard the audible voice of God tell me Eric was for me and God handpicked him for me. So that day I call Eric and say, okay, I'm ready to get married. And he's like, you said that before. I said, I know, but now I really mean it because I'm sure. And when I'm sure you can't sway me when I know, don't even try because I'm, my nickname growing up was bullhead. If that tells you anything, but I was sure. And he said, okay, I forgive you. Here's the ring back. So that's where we were. So she graduated in 1984 in like May and in July we got married. And um, it was a Dutch Reformed church, which is a Reformed church. And being a Lutheran, I was of the Reformed branch of, of Protestantism. So there wasn't too much of a difference. She's, their theology is very Calvinist. None of this I cared about or even knew about back in the day. But so I, we met with the pastor. Like we, we have to do premarital counseling, which was like a 30-minute thing. It was just like really weird. And so we, we, wrote, we wrote the service together. We figured all that out and uh, got married on July 7th, 1984 at 7 o'clock in the evening. And um, boy, was I in for a rude awakening. Um, what well, they say? Love is blind, but marriage is an eye-opener. Is, is that how that works? And so she was everything she presented herself to be. She loved the Lord. She read her Bible every morning and every night. She did devotions. She prayed. And I'm like, what is going on? I mean, I never saw, I mean, yeah, we go to church, right? That's what we do. We go to church. So I, I didn't have, didn't see that growing up. And this is what her life was. So we're married. And I'm like, okay. So we prayed together and we read the Bible together and all of that working at McDonald's. Um, then, which I don't know if her parents were super thrilled that she was marrying a McDonald's manager back in the day. But nonetheless, that's what I was. And uh, I did it really well. And one of the reasons I did it really well is because I, I generally work 60, 70 hours a week. 
Because if you've ever worked in food service, the restaurant owns you basically, right? So if there's an emergency, there's not enough of anything, you fill the gap, you're there. You know, I remember one time, it was four o'clock in the morning, they're, get, they're opening the store, they, I get a phone call, Eric, we have a fire. I'm like, well, have you called the fire department? Why are you calling me? You call the fire department, you know? And, and just then I hear the, the Ansel system explode in the background. And so it was, it was quite a deal. And, it, and McDonald's, a great corporation, they did well by me, but um, I worked. But now this, this Wonder Boy store manager has other responsibilities. I got to get home in a decent hour. I, I, I can't, I just, I just can't do everything I did before because I have new responsibilities. So now I'm working 40. What's going on, Eric? You're not, you're not, your, your, your labor costs and all this stuff. It's, it's out of whack. Blah, blah, blah. So I was getting a squeeze and I didn't really appreciate it. And so, um, it was tough. It was tough work. You know, you go home, smell like onions every day, wearing polyester, wearing a leisure suit at work. And, and, uh, you know, it's all polyester and smell like grease. Um, but we had a lot of good Mac, Big Mac. So, that was good. So I said, you know what? We'd, we had only been married a short period of time. And I'm like, you know what? It'd be nice to have a new job. I'd like to get a job where I have an office and where I can wear, you know, a shirt and a tie and be in air conditioning and have a nine to five job and have weekends off because that's what you don't have in food service. You work weekends and you do work, all that kind of stuff. So we made a list of all the things that we would like, that I would like in this new job. And there's probably about 10 or 12 things. Uh, and she had a, a, a novel idea. She says, why don't we pray about that? Like, yeah. All right, yeah, right, sure. Okay, we'll pray about a new job for me. And so it was in the evening, we prayed, and um, I don't know if you prayed or I prayed, but we prayed through that list of things for a new job. I had to open the next morning, was trying to get up at four o'clock, get in, get things going for the day. By about seven o'clock that morning, the telephone at the McDonald's I worked at, at that time it was on Court Street in downtown Pekin, phone rang and there was a gentleman on the phone who used to work with me as a manager and he said, hey Eric, I work for this company now and it's called Heights Finance. They have 400 finance offices in America and uh, we need someone that's got your gift, your, your, you know, I didn't say your gift set, but we need somebody like you. I said, well, and I'm, and I'm running my shift right now. This guy's telling me about a job that I could have. And he begins to, like he has the piece of paper that we wrote on last night. He begins to read down. He goes, it's weekends off. He can go home smelling like onions every day. You can have your own office. And he, he just like read the prayer from the evening before. So less than 12 hours later, someone calls me out of the blue and offers me a job exactly like my wife had just prayed. I'm like, what is going on here? I now know that there is someone who hears prayer. It's just not something that you do. Someone that actually hears when you pray. So I interviewed at the job. Uh, they hired me right away. McDonald's is severance, blah, blah, blah. And then they transfer me from where I got hired at this new Heights Finance uh, uh, up on Glen in Peoria. Uh, to an, to another to another office, and the office there is like a living hell. It's horrible. Uh, it's just terrible. It's just my 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 supervisor was an alcoholic. He wanted me to lie for him. He left every day at noon to go get stoned, and there was phys there's threats of physical harm in this office. It was crazy. But here's the thing, I knew that God had placed me in that job. So you can endure a lot when you know that God placed you in that place. So I'm like, okay, this is really cool. My wife prays and reads the Bible. So I started listening to Christian music. And uh, so I'm listening to Christian music back and forth all day long, to and from work. Until uh, one day at noon on October 25th, my 37th anniversary birthday just passed by. It was October 25th. It's the corner of War Memorial and Glen, right there by Northwoods Mall. This is where our office was up in there. I'm sitting at the stoplight and having been saturated with Christian radio for probably a couple months, I, said, I, I figured out that I had to do something, that I had to get saved. And so I acted like I took the, the, the steering wheel from my truck, a Ford F-150. 
and I, or not a 150, an F100, and I, and I took the steering wheel and I put it in the driver's seat and I said, God, if you really are who you say you are, which is quite a challenging prayer, <laughs> God, if you really are who you say you are, I want you to run my life from now on. And that was my sinner's prayer. It wasn't in a church. It was just in a truck at noon. And nothing happened. Nothing happened. Angels didn't appear. Trumpets didn't start playing. I went back to work, finished my, my day, driving home. Now it's dark. Time has changed. It's dark in the evening. Driving home, October 25th, and I see on uh, Interstate 474, the bypass around PRM headed home, uh, back to Pekin. And there's a hitchhiker on the side of the road. And just relax yourself. I did not pick the hitchhiker up. Old, old, old Eric would have possibly slowed down enough to make them think I was going to pick them up and then drove away. Or perhaps look if there's a puddle somewhere near that I could hit and splash them. I'm not proud of that. I'm just telling you. But now, instead of either of those two things, I began to cry for a guy hitchhiking on the side of the road. I could probably cry now just thinking about it. It was drizzling rain. It was cool. You could see his breath. I didn't stop. I drove on by with tears in my eyes. I came home and I told Cheryl what had just happened. She said, well, you got saved. I'm like, what? Yeah. So that's... That's how I got saved. And from then, um, a whole list of things began to happen, and they began to happen very quickly. And I have a few of those here. We began to look for a new church. We had gone church hopping. I was Lutheran. She was Dutch Reformed. We decided we weren't going to go to either of our churches. We wanted to find our own church, so we bounced all over the place. And we were at a Baptist church. We went to a Presbyterian church. Uh, that was fun. And uh, just, just, we just uh, we got to find a church to do, do church together. Well, now that I'm saved, I'm like, this Presbyterian church is not cutting it, because that's the church we were going to at the time. So this is, these people just don't get what happened to me. I told them my story, they're like, right? So they didn't understand what had happened to me. And so we went on a hunt again for another church. And so we shopped around, but then I, ah, I remember when I was in Luther League, in the Lutheran church, we did reports on other denominations and we visited an Assemblies of God church. They were crazy people. The reason we visited an Assemblies of God church from my youth group when I was a Lutheran, is because unbeknownst to me, my youth group, youth leader, had gotten saved. And he was kind of the black sheep in the Lutheran church because he brought his Bible to church. And when you bring your Bible to the Lutheran church, something's wrong with you. His name was Terry. And Terry took us to the Assemblies of God church on a Sunday night. Crazy. I'd never seen anything like it. People were like, I don't know, man. They were like all high or drunk or something. They were super friendly. The music was awesome. And the service was way too long. Because <laughs> I was used to 45 minute get home before kickoff. And now it's, now it's like, what is going on? So we found a new church. We both got rebaptized in the water. Then I got baptized these are all great stories. I got baptized in the Holy Ghost in my same truck just a couple weeks after I got saved. Laid hands on myself, began to speak in tongues as I was driving down the highway. We got involved in a, in a connect group, in a small group. Every Thursday night, I think it was, people would bring whatever they had. Some people brought a box of Ritz crackers. Some people brought, brought soup. Whatever you had in your cupboard, you had to bring something. Some people brought crock pots. And so it was awesome. We went there, and Cheryl ended up getting baptized in the Holy Ghost in the back bedroom uh, at one of those meetings. This is all within the first couple weeks of me getting saved. My best friend, David Redding, who partied hardier than me, is now, I gotta get my best friend saved, so I'm on his case, David, you gotta come to church with us, David, you gotta come to church with us. 
I remember one time in particular, because he, he told me he was, every Sunday he told me he was going to go, but then he never answered the door when I went to pick him up, right? <laughs> one day he answered the door buck naked. Which didn't startle me because we had run hard together before. I was, Dave, get some clothes on, bro. We gotta go to we gotta go to no, no. but he eventually came to church at the Assemblies of God Church. He got saved, fell in love with the preacher's daughter, got married, they're both in ministry, and that's another great very long story. So uh, in less than a year, um, we had done everything we could do in church. We got involved and Sunday school, everything we could do, and it just really wasn't scratching the itch for me until the Lord gave me a scripture, and that's Matthew 11, 29 and 30. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. And learn, like, ah, in high school, I was not like a super great student. I just was there for the ride, just for the fun of it. Um, if, if, I don't ever remember really studying high school. I just learned whatever I could learn in class. If I could skim something, I might. A C, I was happy with C's. That was my academic, that was my academic prowess in high school. So learn of me. I don't know what that means. Went to the pastor. Pastor, I got I to gotta, I gotta learn more. I love the church. I love Sunday school. I love everything that's going on. I, I, I believe I need to go to, to uh, Bible school. And he goes, Eric, if you can do anything other than be a pastor, you should go do that because you don't want to do this if you just think you might want to do this. Mm-hmm. Best piece of advice I think I've ever gotten in ministry because if, if you have a way of escape, you'll use it because this job is not easy. You will hurt somebody uh, if you're not called or you'll quit. You'll quit. Mm-hmm. And so I said, I'm in it to win it and so off to Bible school we go. A great, a great, great, great thing. Um, and so it was all, it was all beautiful then, Eric, right? You went to Bible school, you got a beautiful wife, your life is together, you're both saved, you moved to Minneapolis. No, it was pretty horrible because I used to be a manager and now I'm a security guard running a midnight shift. I used to run a McDonald's and now they got me washing dishes in the cafeteria at the school. Huh? It's okay. We live in a horrible apartment. Yeah, let me talk about that. Okay, we don't have a, we don't have a lot of time, so give, okay. him, give him well, a horrible apartment I'm story. I'm not saying I grew up rich, but I grew up comfortable. Let's just say that. And, um, you know, I'm a homebody, and, uh, but I knew we were called to go, so without question, I said, yes, we're moving to Minneapolis, Minnesota. Sight, and, un, sight unseen. Yeah, and um, it just makes me weep thinking about it. I mean, when we packed up and left... I could hear my mom wailing in the house because she was so sad we were moving. You know, and I look back now and I understand, you know. Um, but yeah, the, my mom was crying. My mom and I were crying so hard in the house that they could hear us in the street. And then um, when my dad, he drove up with us to Minneapolis and when he saw where he, we were living, my dad cried. And he left us there because my loyalty, I'll go wherever my husband goes. His people are my people. I'll go wherever he goes. I've always been that way. But to see my dad cry leaving me in that that apartment, you know, and we were no money. and um, She didn't have a job. I didn't have a job. But we made it work. She got a job, but then she had to go to school. Being a dental assistant, she went back to school with a four-year degree. She goes back to school while I'm in school. So we live in this apartment, and it is a horrible apartment. It was... Um, they call it garden level, which is a really fancy term for you walk down into your apartment so that when you look out, you see everyone's feet. <laughs> which made us, and this is a really bad part of Minneapolis, uh, which is close to the school, not a great neighborhood, and we eventually got robbed. We got, we got our apartment of two broke people. They, I had a handful of change on the counter. They pulled out all the silver and left me the pennies. I don't know if they felt... Sorry for me or what, but they left me pennies. They took all the change, and then it was, it was. So we moved. Her boss said, "That's where you live. Get out of that neighborhood. I'll give you a raise so you can move out of that neighborhood." So we moved up, up into Section Eight housing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where the apartment on this side, a hooker lived in, 
and the apartment on this side had yellow tape across the door, condemned. This is where we moved up to. So yeah, it's all a bed of roses when you give your life to Jesus and you decide to be in the ministry. We were, ha- we were happy though. Yep. I, we were happy. It was fun. Yep. Yep. So the, the, the end of school, the Lord called me to be a, a senior pastor, not a youth pastor. And I said, I don't know. I haven't even been saved a year. Here I am in school. I've only been, it's, it's a four year undergraduate program. So between my third and fourth year, the Lord says, you go be a senior. I've only been saved for three years. I've just been, you know, go do it. So I, I made application to, this is my style, I made application to every church, every Assemblies of God church in like a seven-state radius that had an open. Whether they ran 5,000 people or they ran five people, I wrote a resume to every one of those. I think I mailed out 25 or 30 resumes in one week once the Lord told me what I needed to do. And a little church that is uh, two and a half hours away from where we lived in Brooklyn Center, um, Minnesota, to uh, a little town called Blue Earth, Minnesota, two and a half hours away, said, we'll take you to be our pastor. But I was taking 21 credits my senior year. I was running uh, a finance department now for Sears at the time, uh, doing uh, credit checks and so forth. Um, My wife has experienced a miscarriage working another job, and now I'm pastoring a church that's two and a half hours away for the second half of my senior year. Tough, tough, tough. We moved down to this little bitty town called Blue Earth, 4,200 people, and continued to have, I think, two more miscarriages there. Had Hannah there, and it was tough. It was tough, because I'm not a small town guy, but those that church was a great church. You know why it was a good church? Because they loved pastors and they had grace, mm-hmm. right? Because in ministry, the day that you know everything is the day that you graduate from seminary. The day you realize you don't know everything is the first day on the job. <laughs> and that church was very kind to me, very compassionate to me, very understanding, very gracious to me. But it was a hard, it was a very hard, it was a very hard thing. And, but we never lost faith. It was very, very, we were so extremely poor. When I was an intern, uh, I was an intern, Devin, and I had no money, imagine that. I was an intern, I had no money. They'd say, hey, let's go out, let's go out to Baker Square after church and have a piece of pie and a cup of coffee or something. They would say it to Cheryl and I. And we'd go, yeah, sure. And then we'd be walking to our, our car and she said, do you have any money? I said, no. I said, do you have any money? She said, no. You know, I mean, we didn't have the, the money for a cup of coffee. I couldn't buy coffee at the, at, the, at the college, whatever it was, a dollar for a cup of coffee. I took Folgers Instant Coffee in a Tupperware, and I got water out of the bathroom, and I snuck into the teacher's lounge, and I used their microwave. That's the coffee I drank all the way to college. The Blue Earth, we made $400 a week. We thought we were rich. But God was good. Mm-hmm. See, when you know that you know he's with you, mm-hmm. you can do anything. Yeah. Romans 5, verse 3 says, we rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Galatians 6, 9, let us not become weary in doing good for in proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And my favorite of the morning, James 1, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. I gotta tell you one other story about this crazy this crazy apartment. When we moved up into section eight and they got the prostitute and the condemned one, one morning we wake up to the police running down the hallway because the guy up above us had shot his gun through the floor of his of his apartment and blew up the microwave in the in the in the apartment next to us. Crazy. Had no I would money. take the bus we never home. She take oh uh, the no. bus home from work, and I'd be I would be like so nervous. And it'd be like, we just had one little car, and if he had to stay, I did the bus a lot. And, cold, and it was so cold. And the whole way home on the bus, I'd just be sitting, like, trying not to make eye contact with anybody because you didn't want them to think you were, like, that you, like, you wanted to talk to them or they were going to follow you off the bus. Like, if you looked like, 
And so you sat there, and I'd be so scared to be in that little apartment by myself or taking that bus by myself. But, you know, God's faithful, and you do whatever it takes. And you just pray through it and say, I know God's got my back. Please, please don't let anybody look at me on the bus. Please, please don't let anybody follow me off the bus stop to go to my my apartment. And just always, you know, they talk about, what is it, that latchkey kid stuff? I think I had that every day at work at about 3 o'clock. I'd start praying, oh, God, oh, God, keep me safe. I mean, I was just, you know, you do what you got to do, but it was like, ah. So um, God's been faithful to us. This is our story. Um, there's a hymn of the church by Fanny Crosby. If you don't know Fanny Crosby, she was a uh, prolific hymn writer. She was blind. She went blind. Imagine this, moms. Your, your child has some sort of eye infection, perhaps. So you take, the doc- you take your kid to the doctor, and the doctor, because he doesn't know what he's doing, puts a mustard pack on your child's eyes and immediately your child goes blind because a mustard pack may or may not do anything to an infection that you might have in your arm or your leg but you put mustard in your eye this child went blind fanny crosby went blind when she was uh, six weeks old wrote all kinds of hymns and one of one one she wrote which i really love it says blessed assurance jesus is mine oh what a foretaste of glory divine heir of salvation purchase of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story. This is my song. Verse three, and I'll conclude with this. Perfect submission, all is at rest. I, in my Savior, am happy and blessed Watching and waiting, looking above, filled with his goodness, lost in his love. This is my story. This is my song. Can I say something? You sure can. I think that, um, I don't know, Eric obviously felt led by the Spirit to do this today, but in my opinion, I think it was good because I think sometimes people look at those in charge or where we're at now and you don't know from when we came from. And it's faithfulness. It's one small decision, the next small decision, the next decision. Knowing who God is in your life. What are you hungry for? What is your priority? Where do you want to be in five or ten years? And for us, it was never a financial decision. It was always what's next uh, for us for God, with God. And just knowing he'd provide um, his faithfulness, um, and I think people see our house or the senior pastorate here. But let me tell you, we did our time. And I told Devin one time as an intern, I was like, um, when I'm going to take you out for lunch, I tell Devin, I'm taking you. Because I don't, with college kids, you learn things. It's like when people invited us after church, it'd be like, in the back of my mind, I'm like, are you buying? Are you inviting us, like inviting us? And so I'm always trying to be, you know, especially young college kids and stuff. Hey, we want to take you out for lunch or we want to take you out because I've been there. And so um, just learning those things. I mean, it was all valuable lessons for us. And um, I don't regret a day of it. And I'm just so thankful to God for his faithfulness. I was saved like in third grade. I didn't even know what being saved was, but I knew I cried all night. And I knew something I always loved church, but something happened in my heart. And um, so, yeah, if you just stay strong with God, he's faithful. He'll never let you down. He will never let you down. We tithe on nothing. Um, We we never not, didn't tithe, Mm -hmm. always tithe. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember we would enjoy being invited to weddings because that would be free food. I'm not a big fan of weddings now, but back in the day, I loved weddings. Because then you could, like, I remember, this is a hand-to-heaven story. We took a lot of, like, I'm not embarrassed if someone would say, you know those those pastel-colored little mints? God, I can't pull a stick in my pocket. 
and little Spanish peanuts. Okay, and so pocket. I was I had to go to school for um, right. We had those in our pocket, and we we're eating at a park. Babe, babe, listen. We would pack our we'd have breakfast, whatever that would be, and then we would pack our we would pack our lunches and we would pack our dinners because she was going to school too. So after she worked her day job, she would go to night school. I worked and went to my job. So we'd meet at some park somewhere and we'd have... We'd feed the squirrels. We'd feed the squirrels nuts. And they get fat and then lay down. But we... I mean, we didn't have anything, but Mm -hmm. that doesn't matter. But our testimony, you know, even at that time, you know, I worked for two amazing dentists. One of them actually had a son and named him Eric. That's how good friends we are and were and whatever. But... um, yeah, that we just became, we had a testimony to them, and we loved them, and they loved us, and they helped us, and, um, but we, we walked our testimony then, and we were happy, and they, you know, I don't know, those doctors are so good to us, and actually, they got fined 500 bucks for hiring me because I wasn't an official dental assistant, but they liked me. They said, we, you're the right person. We can train you. We're more concerned about you being the right person. So they trained me, and I was working. And then, anyway, I had to go to school to be official. And, but they still got fined $500. They're like, you're worth it. That's okay. You know, we'll pay it and just keep pressing on. And they paid for me to go to school. Faithfulness, showing up on time, doing the job. Yes, yes, yes. So, anyway, being faithful. So here's your scripture that you can write down. This is your take home. In 1 Peter, because this is the beginning of a series uh, for the next three weeks. Um, 1 Peter 3, verses 14 through 16. But even if you should suffer for what is right, you're blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. Verse 15. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord and always be prepared to give an answer. To anyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. So I guess where we're headed with this is, um, you know, obviously we're not martyrs. We've had a pretty easy life. We've had a pretty easy life in retrospect to what some people have paid for their Christian faith. So don't glorify what we've done. It was a light and momentary Mm -hmm. issue for us. Yeah. So, so that's not the point of this. The point is this, that each of you should be able to sit in this chair and talk for an hour about how good God is, how faithful he is, yep. how he, how, that day that you met him and how he changed your life. And it may not be an incident like I had where it was on a particular day at a, at a particular time. Or, or for, for some, it's just in Cheryl's life where the light bulb was turned on with a rheostat. It, 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 you keep turning that rheostat, and at some point, the light does turn on. So you may not, you may not have a particular date or time when you gave your life to the Lord, but you need to give your life to the Lord. And honestly, it's not because your life will be easier. In many regards, your life will be more difficult as a believer because you have a higher standard than the world. But we don't live for this. We play the long game, right? We're playing for eternity. And so if you've never given your life to Jesus, may the words that you've heard today stir you to say, you know what? I think I should give my life to the Lord. Because I'll tell you what, the bondage that you have in your life can be instantaneously broken. The joy that we have and the joy that we had in some pretty horrible situations, even though Life seemed to be falling apart for us at times. We still had joy and we still had peace because we knew who we belonged to. So if you would just bow your head with us. Father, thank you for this time together today. And if there's someone here today, Lord, that's been encouraged and been perhaps just their heart has just been pricked enough to say, I think I, think I need to do that. Jesus is the only way. Jesus is the only way. He'll bring you hope. He'll bring you healing. And he'll bring you peace. You can lay your head on your bed tonight, on your pillow, knowing that if you were to die, you'd be immediately in his presence. And you need his covering over your home and your family and your kids. Because these are crazy days. These are crazy days. So if you've never done that, this is the moment. 
If you've done that before, it may be time to just do it again and remind the Lord that you're all in. So Father, I raise my hand to you 37 years later, still very grateful for the moment that you invited me to be your son. And if you need that relationship this morning, just raise your hand with me. Maybe it's the first time or maybe it's the hundredth time, but you're saying, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. And then he wraps his arms around you, not because you're perfect, but because you're his son, you're his daughter. And so Lord, today as new people begin a journey with you, some reignite a journey, may this place, may this house be a place of grace and peace as we all journey together. So on that day, when we see you face to face, what a day that will be. Regardless of the tumultuous times in which we live in, in which children are being born in today, it's been no different. But you never change. You are the God of every circumstance that we give to you today. Lord, break depression. Break anxiety. Break addictions. Right now, in Jesus' name, as we surrender to you. And now may the peace of God and may the presence of heaven be upon your life. And may he lead you and may he guide you and encourage you and provide for you and be your hope. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. As we conclude this podcast, we want to take a moment to say thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please consider subscribing to receive our weekly podcast on your device. Check out the show notes for links to our website, more information about this message, or to support our ministry. You've been listening to the Destiny Church 217 Podcast, your place for real, relevant relationships.